So, hello and welcome back to the Full Time Whistle podcast. My name's George Hartley and welcome to episode three. We have a full roster today in terms of, oh, we have, we have four people on board. We don't have Jack. He's not here today. Obviously, he's been in the first two, but we do have the return of two OG members of the crew in the first ever episode. We've got Luke Rushbrook and we've got Vito Rizzo as well. Uh, Luke, how are you, first and foremost? Yes, not too bad, mate, yourself? Yeah, all right, all right. Happy with the Villa result. I'm sure you're um, also happy with the Chelsea result as well. Definitely. Um, how have things been for Chelsea over the last couple of weeks? I mean, I'm sure we'll expand on it, but if you've got any uh, observations, we will definitely expand on it. I was I was a bit sour after the uh, after the Carabao Cup loss, but um, yeah, and then then Abramovich selling. So yeah, it's been it's been a bit up and down. So a nice, comfortable four 0 win Saturday was definitely needed. Yeah, I I think so definitely for Chelsea. Vito, how have you been as well? Uh, I've been better. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I've been better. But um, what can you expect anymore? That is true. I think we'll, we will get on to that first. But of course, we've got to introduce Aaron as well, who's here for the second week in a row. Some great insight last week. Uh, how are you doing, Aaron? Oh, I'm good, mate. I'm good. Three points for Cardiff and three points for Celtic. First win against Livingston since 2007, away from home. So all good for my end. Yeah. Oh, nice. Perfect. Um, so I think what we are going to do is we're going to start off by talking about the Manchester derby. I think we have to talk about the Manchester derby to start with, to be honest, don't we? Um, Man City obviously coming out as 4-1 winners in that game. We're going to let it open up a debate as well um, in terms of the bigger picture regarding something specific to do with both teams in this game, actually. Um, but I think, first of all... Um, Luke, do you want to talk a little bit about a little bit about this game? Because obviously this is a big result. It's it's a it's a big match. Everyone predicted really Man City to to come out on top. I would say, but um, this, did this go basically how you thought it would? I was a bit wary before the game. I thought United typically over the last few years haven't been in the best of form when they've gone to the Etihad and managed to get results. So. I wasn't quite sure how it was going to go. When I saw the lineups, I did think, yeah, that's it. City have won this game. I could, I could not believe at all that Rashford wasn't in the lineup. Uh, it just, mm-hmm. just makes no sense to me whatsoever. The lineup that, um, that Rangit picked, but I think City were professional. I think they've done the job well. Maybe a little help from VAR. I'm not quite sure on the on the Mares goal, but overall, it was a standard City performance. I think. Yeah, I'd I'd say so. I mean, it, it was one of those where I reckon I can't, you kind of expect Man City with the the lineup that they put out. Any lineup they put out is basically going to be stronger than the opposition, and ca- unless you're going into a Liverpool game, essentially, that's really the only only thing I can say about it. It kind of went how I thought it would go. I'm completely honest, and obviously we've seen uh, De Bruyne and Mares both getting a brace in that match. Uh, Aaron, how did you find it? Do you know the first half was quite surprising because United played all right, didn't they? It was it was pretty even apart from their defensive uh, mistakes. United, but sort of gave it a go. You did think though at one all though United had to score next because even everyone talks about the second half where United dropping their heads, but you could actually see it two one. They were starting to 
get a bit despondent. But then I mean, Sancho had a really big chance to make a two-two, didn't he? Just before half time. But the second half was, I mean, it's well documented, was a joke from Man United's point of view. But I, to be honest, that's a, that's a game I sort of expected Man City to dominate like that, especially when you look at the team with Pogba and Bruno playing up front, then Alanga on the wing and Sancho on the wing, going back to this magic four-two-two-two, which since he's come into the Premier League, I've not seen it work once. I don't know about you, Vito. You're probably better at answering it rather than me, but I've not seen this four-two-two work at all since he's come in. Mm. Yeah, it's been. We, we will get on to this actually because we, we're going to expand and talk about a few things from this game that link to um, the clubs in question in a, in a in a bigger sense. Vito, obviously, we saw for one of the well, the first time that I can really remember the lack of a kind of number nine. Obviously, Cavani and Ronaldo, neither of them played the game. Rashford, who has played as number nine before, starting on the bench and later coming on for Pogba. How did you find the way that's set up? Because we're going to discuss the the situation regarding false nines or or teams playing without a traditional number nine. And we've got some some great insight coming up, I think, uh, into that later on in the episode. But Vito, did you think that there was any signs that that could work playing without a, uh, without a number nine for United? Uh, well, I think watching the game, it was pretty evident that we need a striker, basically, or someone who can play like a striker and we haven't got one. And at the moment, I don't think we have it, either based on form or whether they're just not in that position at all. Because like you said, there's Rashford that could play as a striker and has before. And he's quite, on his day, he's good at it. But at the moment, he has no day. There's been no day for him. He's been... His form is is gone. Uh, Fernandez evidently can't fulfil that role. I feel like he's more of a, a, a cam, really, just like Pogba. Mm. With Pogba maybe even dropping deeper. I don't know. I feel like it was evident yesterday watching the game. It's weird because there's been that. Obviously, I think we saw Pogba play on the in off the left, didn't we? Under under Solskjaer as well at one point. But it's, yeah. it's that thing where I feel like you've got Pogba and Fernandez. Kind of, there's always been that debate of can they play together? Are they wanting to occupy the same spaces on the pitch? That kind of thing. I think Fernandez has his role, which is behind the striker, which is playing it in a sort of ten kind of role. And that's really where he should play and that's where he should continue to play. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a weird one having Rashford on the bench because I, I, d- he has had very poor form. But I feel like him being the only... I've never seen United play without a, a number nine, really. And I, I think it's a bit of a weird one. Luke, you managed to notice a little pattern in the kind of top, top 10 sort of goal scorers in the league which links into this quite well. So I think we'll have, a, we'll have a little bit more of a debate now about this and we'll, we can help it lead into what was actually the first game of the season a little bit later on. But what what kind of have you found when you're looking at the top goal scorers currently in the Premier League? Well, you, you think of the, the top three, n- none of them really playing with a nine at the minute. When Lukaku does play for Chelsea, they don't utilise him. He doesn't really make the runs that they're looking for. The whole style of play sort of breaks down. City haven't played with a nine. Even predominantly last season, Aguero was out for, for the main main part of it. And, and Liverpool haven't really played with an out-and-out number nine since, well, Ricky Lambert, I suppose. They've had Firmino sort of in, in a false nine for years. He's excellent at playing that role. And now Jota 
is sort of coming through and, and taking his place. But I think, like you say, the top 10 goal scorers in the league, I think only Vardy, who's an out-and-out out number nine, is in there. I think you've got Yamarez's, Salah's, Shotters, even Dennis for Watford isn't an out-and-out an out nine, I don't think. I just think it's a, it's a new sort of age for football. And I think it does stem off of a little bit about what Pep and Klopp have brought to the league. And I think it's the way, the way that football's going. Yeah, I think I, I would kind of agree with that. I think we will quickly touch on, we're not going to say too much about it, but uh, the first game on Saturday was a, a battle kind of lower down in the table. It does link into that because we had Jamie Vardy playing in that game. As you said, the only player in that top kind of 10 goal scorers in the league. Um, he obviously plays for Leicester. He's had injury problems this season. He's been out. He did play in this game, but we saw Harvey Barnes coming in with a goal in Jesse Marsh's first first game for Leeds United. We spoke a little bit about um, Jesse Marsh last week, but when we recorded last week, he hadn't actually been announced yet. He was still kind of... It was, it was in the pipeline. It was looking relatively likely, but it has obviously happened now. So maybe later down the line, we'll t- talk a little bit more about Jesse Marsh. But um, I don't know if any of you guys have any observations about the Leicester-Leeds game at all, if you want to have a little chat about it, because we can also extend the false nine debate into another club as well a little bit uh, further down the line but is there, is there any interesting takeaways from that game from anybody I don't know I think Leeds, Leeds were definitely better organised defensively I think mm. Bielsa was very stuck in his way and it, it does work to a certain extent I don't think he's quite got the players to do it in the Prem but I think Leeds definitely looked a lot more structured a lot more organised and I think well 1-0 scoreline sort of proves it considering the scorelines they've been having recently yeah, I, th- I think that's a fair point. I've, it, it's one of those where I've heard mixed things about Marsh before and since he's come in in terms of is he going to do anything better with the squad than what Bielsa was doing? You know, is he... There's all these stereotypes of him being an American manager because an American manager's never really made it in in, in, a, in one of the big leagues, really. Um, the Ted Lasso comparisons, which, again, he's, he's joked about himself and he takes that on board. But I think there was positives to take from uh, from from that game. We did have a uh, a game that I also can link into the to the false nine debate really because Chelsea obviously um, winning four 0 against Burnley, who again have had their same similar sort of situation to Liverpool, Manchester City, some of the biggest clubs where they are not playing an, an out and out number nine. But the thing is, they do have an out-and-out number nine who is considered to be one of the best number nines in the world, or at least he was last season. I'm sure Vito can um, can agree with that. Vito, I don't know if you ha- what you're thinking about the situation currently at Chelsea because obviously um, Inter, he was at Inter, Romelu Lukaku we're talking about, and he had an absolutely brilliant time under Conte. Chelsea coming in with huge money for him. There were debates at the time, is he a Thomas Tuchel player? Probably, probably, I, I would say probably not personally, and I still to this day don't think he is. But Inter were in a financial situation, weren't they, where they needed they needed the money really, and they're not doing too badly with Edin Dzeko and, and, and Martinez currently. But how do you feel about the whole Lukaku situation? Do you think he's going to be there by the end of the summer transfer window? Well, like, it all depends on how much money they spent on him. If they didn't spend that much, I would probably be seeing probably. Probably saying not, uh, but obviously because of how much they've spent on, on him, it would be quite embarrassing to ship him off to another club um, after one year. Aon 
because of how much money he cost and they obviously want to recoup as much of that as possible and his wages as well. It's, it's it's quite a tall order for someone who isn't getting many goals and isn't proving to be worth that kind of money. Obviously, it, at Inter Milan, it was quite Team Lukaku. So mm. although there was Lautaro Martinez as well, they were helping each other out. And But it was mostly give the ball to Lukaku um, and let him run one-on-one and score. And he did most of the time. And he hasn't had that chance at Chelsea. I don't know whether it's the, men- the mentality of the team. It's not suiting him at all. And and fair, really. It's Yeah, it's, it's a weird one because I think it's partially... Because there's been times when he's looked visibly frustrated because the the it doesn't look like the way they play is suited to him at all. And I feel like... With a player like Lukaku, you have to have the system to play with him. And when you like, it's the same with the same with any strikers, really, because obviously he has played this season. He scored goals, but it, it's still possible that in the back end of this season he'll start playing more and he'll start scoring more. But it has Thomas Tuchel's got got to be able to basically change the entire system just to make that happen. I would say, obviously, this game. Um, Chelsea scored four away at Burnley. Reese James coming back with with a goal, a brilliant performance from Reese James, um, and then also Kai Havertz getting getting two and Pulisic getting two as well. It's Kai Havertz who's been playing in that central attacking role. Luke, obviously, as a Chelsea fan, I know we're trying not to focus too much and get get us talking about because I feel like I've spoken about Villa way too much over the last two episodes. But what? I, we will. I will ask for your opinion on this because obviously, it's it's been a similar situation with Kepper, where a player has come in for huge money, and then it hasn't worked out for for, for whatever reason. I think with Kepper, it was a huge confidence issue. Possibly with Lukaku, it's it's just it, it seems almost kind of ill advised now. I don't know what your take is on it. I think Kepper quickly. I think people do. So, um, sort of forget that his first season was he was actually pretty steady again not a 70 million pound goalkeeper but pretty steady season and then under Lampard he did lose his confidence but at the end of the day he had a he had a centre-back pairing of Tamori who'd never played in the Premier League and Zuma in front of him it was I don't think the confidence was there for him but um, going on to Lukaku I just it's a style of play problem I, I can't see it ever being resolved because Tuchel has his way of playing and I mean, it proved last season it won us the Champions League. And when we do rotate back to having Havertz as a false nine or mm. um, Mount in there or even Werner in there, we do play better. And it's not about Lukaku scoring 20 goals. I think there's certain teams, they rely on a front three or a striker to score a certain amount of goals. Whereas we're quite lucky that we have goals from all around the pitch. And I think that's where it works for City and Liverpool. They're, they're lucky that their front three score a load of goals. Um, I just don't think it'll work for Lukaku. And going on to what Vito said about them cutting the losses and being embarrassed, Chelsea won't be afraid to do that. I think they're quite renowned for for being profitability above above anything else. And well, it proved last summer signed in for hundred million and profited and probably made that back in tops and all sorts already since they've signed him. So I, I can see him going this summer if I'm if I'm brutally honest. You think they'll get the money back that what they spent? I don't think they won't get that money back. Uh, 60, 70 million. He's, he's 28, I think, 29. People are going to pay that sort of money for him. I think, I don't know who, but somebody will stump up 60, 70 million for him, I can imagine. Maybe PSG if they lose Mbappe or they, they're going to need a forward. I, I, I don't know. But I, I just can't, I can't see him staying 
if Chelsea stay the same style of play like they have done, I just, I just think it, it suits them too well to play the way they do. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I'll, I'll move on and ask Aaron as well, because obviously you say about Lukaku moving on there and, and suggesting PSG and everything like that as well. It, it, it causes it more of a problem because so many of the big teams are playing without a number nine. You then think, where do the where do these number nines actually end up? And that's the thing we've had the debate with Harry Kane as well, being linked to Man City. A lot of people said not suited to that team. Same with um, Erling Haaland being linked to Man City. A lot of people said he's not not suited to the team. He's not the sort of striker that they need. We've obviously seen Dusan Vlahovic going to Juve, and he's doing really well. And he's more of your kind of traditional number nine as well in in a lot of ways. But these players, Kane, Lukaku, uh, Vlahovic, Holland, there's a few others kicking about as well. Um, where where are these players going to go, Aaron? Do you do you see a viable destination for Lukaku? Because if you look at the clubs who have got the money, Madrid, it, it just doesn't strike. It doesn't feel right. Uh, just it just doesn't strike me as a, as a transfer that would happen. Bayern Munich, it's not their sort of transfer either. They they tend to go. Uh, spend a little bit less or pick up free agents or pick up um, ageing players. And, and, and they have their own method of doing things. It seems unlikely he's going to go back to Inter because I don't know if Inter can financially pull that off. Um, at, at this point, obviously, Barca have got a Bamiyang. They've got all the situations. Then you look at Man City... Don't play in it. Don't play um, with, with a number nine. Liverpool don't play with a number nine. He wouldn't go back to United. You wouldn't have thought. Aaron, do you, do you think there is a destination for him? I think you'll stay uh, beyond the summer, just basically for the reasons that, that were mentioned. I just think now that Reese James is back, and I don't, I don't know Chilwell's going to be back this season, but saying you'll, you'll, you'll have more of an outball to get crosses in the box for him. Like, I still think he does have a role to play there. He's got to do more himself. His work rate is shocking, like, and his movement is shocking at, at the moment. And I know that comes back to like not a lot of confidence in making the right runs, but even in, in the cup final, for his goal that was marginally offside and very tight, he shouldn't have been in that position. He should have been, you know, got himself in that position. And I just think he's just well off the pace. But I think if you get the ball in the box, he'll get in the end of it because that's what he's there there to do. And I still think that Chelsea at times are toothless up front. Uh, Havertz is having a purple patch and he's playing the, well, the best that I've seen him play, especially in the Premier League and domestically. He's playing really well at the moment. But over a course of a season, you need someone who can put the ball in the back of the net. And for me, Lukaku is still the man. I can't see him going anywhere else. Maybe on loan to enter with like an option to buy. But I think he'll still be at Chelsea. And also, a very it's very important with the whole Abramovich thing. You don't know what Chelsea situation is in the summer. They might not be in a position to go and buy, get a replacement, and you just don't know at the moment. Uh, there's there's a lot of uncertainty. So Chelsea's replacement is already at the club. It's it's Borussia. At Southampton, you think? I think I can really see over the next couple of years, look up. Chelsea aren't going to make their money back in terms of what they've actually paid for him. That it's not going to happen. They will cut their losses at some point, whether it's this summer, next summer, whenever it may be. But I, I do really think that Borussia will end up being the replacement. But have it just briefly going on to Habits. I think the reason he's in a purple patch is because he's actually playing games cons- consistently. It's the, probably the best spell in his career playing in the position that he's best at and I think it will continue and I think he is going to be it's, it's like Firmino Firmino will never score you 30 goals a season he'll get you 15 and 10-15 assists and that, that'll be what Havertz will do for Chelsea Football Club 
Do you think Lucas um, Havertz is playing in his best position then? 100%, yeah. I just think when he plays anywhere else, he's not as effective. Like He can play sort of like in the, what I call the mount position, which is just to the right of Lukaku, which he can play well. But when he's in that focal point, I don't know if you guys watched the uh, the cup final, he was one of the best players on the pitch because he sort of manoeuvred around, he swapped roles, and we've played really well in the last three games that he started. And I just, I just don't think it's a coincidence that when he plays, we play well. And the same as for exchange, like you mentioned as well. Yeah, and I think I think what you said earlier as well about how Chelsea are one of those teams where the goals do come from a lot of different places. You know, you get Reese James has been scoring a fair few this season. You get you get goals coming from left wing back if like Alonso plays. I know Chilwell has scored has scored a handful as well. Mount scores, Havertz. You know, there's been there's been a number of different kind of. Players dropping in here and there. About 18 from defenders this season, I think, something like that in all comps. That's mad. Which is it is. Just, I it's don't know how it works, but it works somehow. I remember even yeah. Trevo Chalaber even scored that. He scored a screamer right at the start of the season, didn't he, as well? Yeah. So I think, and he's and he's been playing a fair amount. So it looks like I think Chelsea are in a really positive position. Obviously, the whole Abramovich thing being up in the air, we probably will. Talk talk about that. I think in a future episode when it's when things are a little bit clearer and we can um, uh, can talk about that a little bit uh, a little bit more in depth. It's interesting as well for Luke there to mention about Armando Broya as being a potential kind of heir to uh, well I don't know if it's an heir to anyone in particular but just a, a central striker kind of role because he's been obviously excelling for Southampton on loan and Southampton have adopted this really good model that we I think we touched on last week or maybe the week I think it was last week about um you know how they they they're approaching these younger players you know obviously Livermento we've seen go from Chelsea there as well and proving that these players are excellent talents and that Chelsea are still creating these 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 amazing talents and i think the time spent under Lampard has, has proven to has, has proven basically that these Chelsea youngsters can be relied on to an extent and they they should be being used more often but um, it will be interesting to see what happens with Broya in in the future. We'll go on to Southampton and talk a little bit about the result that Southampton had. I'm pretty proud of that little segue there. It's literally, <laughs> it's kind of next on the list anyway, so it worked out well. So cheers for that, Luke. That worked pretty well. Um, obviously as well, Southampton, yeah, losing 4-0 against Villa. So great result for me. A bit of a surprise result in terms of I really didn't expect Villa to go in because um, I, I'm a huge fan of Southampton, a huge fan of Harsen Hootel as well. I think he's a, he's a really good manager. People will always say, yeah, but he's lost 9-0 twice. But I think if you look at the bigger picture, he they're operating on a small budget. They basically have a... I think it's kind of like an unwritten rule. I think it's it, it's basically that they never spend fifteen more than fifteen million on a player. Uh, that's apparently a rule they've got at Southampton. That meant that they missed out on a couple of players over the past few windows. I know they missed out on Kukurea, who went to Brighton because he he was worth a little bit more than fifteen. So they have this this attitude that they're playing this kind of money ball thing at the moment, which is is working really well for them and. They're not gonna. They're not gonna go charging up the league and finish in a European position, but um, I, I think in this match, you know, Southampton were sort of shocked slightly by the sheer quality of how, how Villa were going forwards. Obviously, a clean sheet as well, but going forwards in terms of a slightly different dynamic in in terms of the front three there. 
I don't know if Vito is still with us because at the minute he's, fro- <laughs> he's frozen. He's been frozen in the same position for about five minutes. I am still here. Yeah, you are still there. Yeah. Okay. The pitch is frozen. The pitch is frozen in a, a great, a great little still there from you. But it's fine. I might have a bit of a bad connection, but I can still hear you perfectly fine. So all good. Maybe, maybe it will come back, but it's it's looking great at the moment. Um, <laughs> What I will, yeah, I'll ask you. Like in terms of, I don't know if you saw the highlights of this game or anything like that, but Coutinho, Danny Ings, and Ollie Watkins playing as a front three. It's the first time we've seen that, and we've had a chat on here before on this podcast about Danny Ings. Was he a bad signing for Villa? Was he a bit of a waste of money? Is he does he fit the team? I I myself said he doesn't. He didn't fit Dean Smith's team. He doesn't fit Gerrard's team. Is are we being proven wrong in this game? I mean, I didn't watch the game, but looking at the stats, obviously players have really good games and they have really bad games. Obviously, he's had a really good one this time. It's obviously down to whether he can replicate that. And obviously, they've just got to sort of play the same team again, I'm guessing, to see if it's a fluke or not. I mean, they did that against uh, a team that have had a pretty pretty decent run of games, to be honest, with in Southampton, uh, beating West Ham in their last game. So, um, yeah, Danny Ng, Danny Ng's obviously really um, was on the end of quite a few good chances there and created a couple himself, didn't he? So, mm, yeah, obviously, it's 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 teamwork, isn't it? And having players with quality beside you like uh, Coutinho I think that really lifts the team I think we're starting to see Coutinho kind of prove like people are remembering who he used to be who he used to be when he was at Liverpool who he was who the player that signed for Barcelona like he's obviously I wouldn't say he's that player right now because he's in it he's going to look better it's almost the Grealish effect where I think Grealish looked so good because of the players that were around him were, were nowhere near that level really at that point and I think it's the same situation for Coutinho really because he, he is probably the best footballer at the club I think there are a lot of very good players at Villa at the moment in terms of we've touched before Matty Cash I think is a, a br- brilliant player Danny Ings as you say a seasoned Premier League striker, obviously scoring against his former club in this game. Ollie Watkins, I've always been a huge fan of since he came in as well. But I think that that dynamic going forwards, obviously Buendia didn't start this game and he, he's been starting most games. And having having players like Buendia, Leon Bailey to fall back on is, is, is brilliant. We saw players like Traore on the bench as well, who I think on his day can still contribute in some way. So I think Villa are in a really positive positive position right now. I think obviously this this game was played as well without Luca Digne as well. Ashley Young was filling in in this game, and I, I just think this is proving that Villa have had a poor couple of results leading up into this game. This could be a bit fluky as well, but it it looked to me like the front three was working relatively well in this game, and you know, evidently in the scoreline. Aaron, I don't know if you have anything to add to to, to what what we've said. I thought Coutinho was really good and actually yeah. had more of an influence in the game uh, than he's done in the last few weeks. With Gerard coming in, you're always going to get that sort of you know, boom period and then you're always going to get a honeymoon period when that finishes. Uh, and now they seem to just be going onto a level now and you can see what he's trying to do there. 
I mean, it's good that Ollie Watkins is, is starting to score again. You know, that's yeah. back-to-back games after not scoring in a while. And I, and I think that's the key. Danny, Danny Ings, we know he's a goal scorer, but I still think Ollie Watkins is key. I think if he's confident and can put the ball in the back of the net, you've always got that vocal point up there. I know. I mean, you, you, you look at the game at the weekend, even though four 0 I mean, Emmy Martinez pulls off an unbelievable save at the end. Like, must be save of the weekend as well. So when you when you've got him, you know, him between the sticks playing well as well, you, you've always got a chance with Villa. And you know, they should be aiming for top half. Gerard was like top half's the target. They should be with that squad. They should be definitely looking at that top half. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely getting there. I've seen a report today. Villa apparently linked with an eighty-three million pound move. Which it was from Musa Diab- Musa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen, but I just think I know obviously this is just, this is just a report. It probably means absolutely nothing. But for Villa to be in a position where they're linked with an 83 million rated player is ridiculous compared to if you look back two three seasons about the like where Villa actually were at that point. It's yeah, pretty incredible. Um, I think Luke, we'll move on to the game between Newcastle and Brighton. I wanted to to kind of touch on Brighton because we have focused on on Newcastle quite a bit last week and whether they're safe from the drop. Obviously, that this is another win for them. They're performing incredibly well at the moment. The new players gelling quite well, uh, combining very well with the with with players like Ryan Fraser, who's he's had a huge upturn in form. So I reckon we'll focus a bit more on Brighton in in this section and just Graham Potter is obviously a manager who gets so much praise. He's rated as one of the best English managers at the moment, if not the best. And Brighton have been, you know, described as a very, very sensible club, a club that have run well, a club that are really doing moving in the right direction. But they're not performing brilliantly on the pitch at the moment. They're not really getting the results that we'd expect from them. What what do you think is kind of going on at Brighton at the moment? I think it's coincided with a couple of games back when this poor run started with Duncan Webster were both injured. And without those two, they look a completely different side defensively, but in general, I don't think either of them are given the the sort of the credit they deserve, to be honest. Um, And I think it started from that. I think it's just a lack of confidence at the minute. And you've got to remember in a game like that where Newcastle are massively high on confidence, they're low on confidence. It's just it's just one of those things. I still think Brighton are, are definitely safe. I think they'll be okay. And I still think Potter's a good manager. I still think he's got limited... We're talking about Southampton with their spend. But apart from Kukurea that you mentioned, Brighton, Brighton don't spend that much. And you look at, you're relying on your Neil Mopes to, to sort of get you out of trouble when you're not playing well. And he's just he's not that sort of striker, I don't think. And I think that's it. I think Basuma's massive for them. I think without them, it, it could be a lot. It could be a lot of a, a lot worse, a lot of a worse situation than what it was. Um, but yeah, I think they need um, Adam Webster back as soon as they can, really. Yeah, I think it is a case of that. I mean, that's the thing. I, I feel like striker-wise, they've needed to strengthen for a little bit. They've got Neil Mopay, Neil Mopay. So they've got Welbeck as well, who can't really contribute what what you need. Uh, any more really from a striker he doesn't really have what he used to have at all um, at this stage I know in January they signed Undav from um, Union SG which is their sister club in Belgium but they've loaned him straight back there when I don't know whether he would have contributed at a Premier League level straight away he's I think 25 and he's he's doing incredibly well in Belgium I think he's a German striker 
And he came from the third third tier in Germany, and he's he's proven to be really good for Union SG. Whether he comes in and makes an impact next season for, in the Brighton first team, I'm not entirely sure. But it's yeah, it's it's been a topsy turvy one really for Brighton, and um, I think we will move on to another game right at the bottom of the table in Norwich versus Brentford. Obviously, Norwich won Brentford three. In this game, we saw uh, a nice little moment between Brandon Williams and Christian Eriksen in this game as well, where Williams was about to absolutely kick the whatever out of out of Eriksen and then realised who it was and said, maybe I should be a little bit more careful, a bit, bit, more, bit more respectful yeah. of this guy, um, which was a nice moment to see. But obviously a, a, a very important battle at the bottom of the table and Norwich in their home games against a team like Brentford Surely should be trying to get a little bit more out of this result, Vito. I don't know um, how you how you felt about this. Obviously, we saw Ivan Tony coming back into back into form. And um, do you think Brentford are going in the right direction, or do you still think that they're that they're on the way down? Um, obviously, this is a, a step in the right direction after uh, a poor run of form. Um, ultimately, coming down to defending and um, the end product, which they've had none of, essentially. Um, they scored one goal in their past four games. And obviously that was evident when when um, Tony played. Um, I think they've gotten over that uh, fuck Brentford uh, fiasco that happened. I don't know if you remember when that happened. Uh, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that That's wasn't about. good. Um, <laughs> I think we just need to see more of it from Brentford. I think they can stay up. I think the next few games are going to be difficult because they've got Burnley coming up. So, And then they've got Leicester and then they've got Chelsea and then they've got West Ham. So the next, the next few games are going to be difficult for them, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of right, Aaron. I don't know if you have any any thoughts on Norwich City because it's looking it's looking more and more likely that they are going to go back down again. Obviously, a lot of people have been, you know, have had a lot of a lot of praise for Dean Smith since he came into the club. Do you reckon they have to keep him in the Championship? Yes, I think so uh, because. I- think he's well I mean he's a really good manager for that level I mean they're definitely down I mean if, if they were to go for Dean Smith who'd you go for do you go for another Daniel Fark another untried person I think he's definitely capable of getting them back up first time round and Norris are a frustrating team everyone says it the, the ultimate yo-yo club but I actually think they've been really disappointing this season Norris I thought maybe the whole Scottish thing but see with Billy Gilmore coming in there I thought that was such a cool signing and I thought he would literally be the guy to sort of take the lead and the main man and I, I still thought Puki would, would do alright there but he's I mean he scored a consolation goal at the weekend but I, th- I think with Norwich for, in the Championship they're so powerful and strong in the Premier League they're so weak and easy to play against and for them to be exactly the same as the last time in the Premier League I mean you'd think they would have learnt their lessons from it and that was such a bad result the weekend that was, that, that was the, a disaster for them so for me they're, they're definitely down I think that's one of the final nails in the coffin probably for Norwich at the moment because I would say personally I think I mean Dan, Daniel Farker to be fair is available again now he 
left his role. He joined he joined Krasnodar in Russia. And obviously everything that's going on in Russia, well, in Ukraine at the moment and that whole situation, which I've I've tried I've tried to to steer us clear of. Obviously it's very important, but I, I'd like to think we can distract people from all of that. Um but he's he's left he's left Krasnodar after after playing zero games, after managing zero games. So he is available. So if they want him again, you never you never know. He could, he could return, especially if they get relegated. But I would I definitely give give Dean Smith a shot in the championship. He obviously brought brought Villa up. He did quite well with Brentford there as well. Um, yeah. So I think I think it's 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 one of those he probably does need to be tested. And I mean Daniel Farker is proof. That you can stick with the manager that relegate that gets you relegated, and that they can have the ability to bring you back up again. I think we'll go to Wolves Crystal Palace. Wolves nil Crystal Palace two. One interesting thing that I saw, I saw actually literally just tonight before we started recording, was a clip of Bruno Large, the Wolves manager, calling out the Wolves Wolves sort of younger players, calling out. I think it was maybe Kiana Hoover, possibly yeah. uh, the, the the right the, the right wing back. I don't know. I don't know whether Luke, you have anything to say about that because Bruno Large has been has been praised a lot. I think we've we've even said on here how defensively the the defensive record Wolves have put together this season has been really underrated. Max Kilman, Cody, Jose Sarr coming in with not much of a reputation, and Bruno, Bruno Large obviously having not much of a reputation before coming in as well. How do you feel about him kind of coming out in the press and publicly criticizing the younger players? Do you think that's a good thing for them. I mean, obviously, different players are going to respond differently, but overwhelmingly, do you think that's going to positively or negatively impact the, the, think, the young players at all? I think it depends on the mindset, to be honest. I think this particular one was over uh, lack of preparation. Didn't he come up with a hamstring strain or something? Didn't warm up yeah. or didn't stretch enough or whatever it was, which you can understand the manager's frustration with, with something simple like that. Um, but I think it really depends on, on how deep he goes and really how how much he breaks them to be honest um i think two weeks ago we we were seeing wolves praises and now they've lost three games on the bounce um and they've gone from sort of top four contenders to top half contenders um i, I don't know what's going on there to be honest, the last couple of weeks it's like all the, all of the defensive structure and it must be a commentator's curse from us lot praising them and then ever since they can't stop conceding goals yeah, it, it does seem like that. It's, it's been a weird one for Wolves. We also have Liverpool 1, West Ham 0. So, you know, what West Ham... I don't know about West Ham at the moment. It's, it's hard to decide how West Ham are doing really at the moment. It's been not not clear-cut in terms of they're, they're doing incredibly well. I will say as well, at the time we're recording, it's about half an hour left of the Tottenham-Everton game and they're currently winning 5-0. So mm. I'm not sure, not sure how that game's going to end, but... You know, five nil currently. It could, it could be a cricket score by the end of this, as I think uh, we were saying beforehand. And also, Forest, uh, Forest have beaten Huddersfield in the FA Cup. Goals from Surridge and Yates. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe we'll have like a little chat next week if Jack's on, who's obviously a Forest fan. But I think we'll stick we'll stick with the Liverpool game as well for now. I just thought I'd quickly mention that whilst I was looking at the scores, but. Liverpool, West Ham, Sadio Mane obviously with the only goal. Again, this links into the to the false nine chat. Sadio Mane playing more centrally in this game. Obviously, since Luis Diaz has come in, we've seen uh, Jota sort of reduced to the bench quite often. 
Vito, I don't know how you're feeling about Luis Diaz and the impact that he's had. For, for me, it sort of reminds me of the the Bruno Fernandes impact at, at United in a in a strange way. I don't think Liverpool needed a player to impact them as much as United did at that point. But coming in from the Portuguese league, not like the most well, famous player in the world, not everyone has seen them play a huge amount of football. But how how do you how vital do you think Luis Diaz could be in terms of while well, Salah and Mane and Firmino start aging out? Do you think he's the future for Liverpool? Um, I think he can be. I mean, he's only well, he's he's twenty five, so he's he's got quite a few years in him. But yeah, he has had quite a quite a, a good impact to start with. Um, I mean. He's only scored one goal, but that doesn't necessarily speak to his ability and what he's contributed in terms of energy to the team, I think. He's brought a lot of energy to that team and it's just another option, really, isn't it? I think. It was, if, if anything, I think the min- bare minimum that it would have been was good squad building, but I think he's coming straight away and he's proven he is not necessarily of the level of Salah and Mane just yet, but he's a player who's contending. He's obviously getting a lot of first team minutes. He's he's starting games and he's he's getting there. He's of that level and he's that next generation because as we see the likes of Firmino, Salah, Mane, you know, approaching the age of 30 and starting to slowly possibly deteriorate. Obviously, Jota came in a few seasons ago and he's been brilliant since he signed. And then Diaz is the next step of that. And if they can do that again, we, we, we could just see a, con- a constant... It depends. Until Klopp leaves, this is just going to be a constant kind of uh, situation for Liverpool where they, they are going to have a team this strong the entire time because I think that they're spending incredibly wisely and incredibly well. They're not going out and splashing huge amounts of money on multiple players every single window. They're, they're taking it slowly. They're, they're thinking about things. It's, it's all very methodical. And I just think I'm, I'm a big fan of how they're, how they're going about that. Um, Aaron, we had on, on Sunday, yesterday on the day of recording, um, Watford 2, Arsenal 3. Uh, what did you sort of take from this game? I don't know if you got, got to catch any of this. Oh, frustratingly because I heard there were so many good goals in the game <laughs> it was one of, it, yeah. I only managed to catch the last 20 minutes of it <laughs> but I did see the, the, the Watford first goal over a kick uh, which was a great goal for Arsenal that's such a big win because when Sissoko scored to make it 3-2 you were just thinking oh it's Arsenal's vulnerabilities again this could easily finish 3-3 uh, but they saw the game out. These these are the sort of games that the last few years Arsenal would not win. Um, it would be completely different. But when you've got the likes of Saka, uh, Lacazette's playing well in the moment, Odegaard, you've always got a chance. Um, and I just think there's a different mentality about Arsenal, especially with like um, you know, Ramsdale, Tierney. They're different characters. The characters that Arsenal haven't had over the last 10 years and they might say it's only Ramsdale has been relegated twice it's Tierney he's only come from Celtic but there's something about these guys if you put the right people around them they're really good to have and I think look at them now what what they're now they're a point ahead with three games in hand of Man United or a couple games in hand or something so they're they're in the driving seat for top four now and uh, really good win for them yeah, I think it is three three games in hand and they're on 48 points, but a point above United. So things are looking really positive for Arsenal. I mean, you've got 
if if you look at that, then yeah, they have played basically the least. It's, it's them and Everton have played the least, uh, and Leicester have played the least games in the league. So they're in they're in a really good position, Arsenal, to to get that fourth place finish. And I think. And another player I'd like to mention is probably Gabriel Martinelli. He was obviously out of the picture for a little bit, scored in this game and has started to really come into some form recently. I think it's, uh, was, it, was it Jürgen Klopp before who said he's, he has kind of sung his praises quite openly. Um, I'm just going to have a little check on the Tottenham Everton game. See, it's still 5-0. Um, we, we will we, we'll move on to the FA Cup games as well because there were a couple of FA Cup games that we had in the week as well. So uh, we've had, obviously, tonight, as I said, Forest, uh, Forest 2-1 over Huddersfield. But in the week, we had a fair few. We had Everton 2, Boreham Wood 0, Liverpool 2, Norwich 1, Southampton 3, West Ham 1, Luton 2, Chelsea 3, and Middlesbrough 1, Spurs 0, which I think is the takeaway one kind of... Uh, from that, from this this sort of week, we obviously have seen Borough performing pretty well in the Championship at the minute. I think under under Chris Wilder, and they're sort of in contention now to to be making the next step up again. Um, it's possible that we might see them back in the Premier League. Who knows? But in this game, it was yeah, it was a really really exciting game of uh, uh, football to watch. I'm just trying to find exactly um, the the team that they actually played with. But yeah, I mean, they've got some really standout players in, in that squad. Obviously, the likes of Isaiah Jones, who I think we mentioned prior to starting recording. He, he's looking really, really good this season. He's sort of a standout for them. There's Josh Coburn, who is another young player at Middlesbrough who came in and scored right at the end of this game. I mean, Middlesbrough just kept on... They, they would not stop trying to break through that Spurs back line and get past the keeper. And they performed... Yeah, they, they, they it was just relentless, really. Luke, I don't know if you caught the highlights or the, or the match itself or anything like that. Um, and what, what did you think? Yeah, I did. I watched... Um, I think it was the same night as the Peterborough City game. And I, I sort of watched back-to-back. Yeah. Back. They were a staggered time, I think. Um, but yeah, the, the Middlesbrough were just relentless. Just every time they lost the ball, they were at them again. And just Spurs, as a Chelsea fan, never failed to make me laugh because they go from so many different extremes in such a short period of time. Like, look, I hate to say, but the win against City was incredible. And then they go that midweek and lose to Burnley. And then the following Saturday, they smash Leeds and then lose to Middlesbrough. And then tonight, they're, they're smashing Everton. It's just, it's just the Spurs fans must really go through some highs and lows. But I, I just think that Spurs aren't set up to play cup football, especially against the lower side, because Spurs are better when they counter-attack teams. Obviously, I've not, I've not seen the game tonight, but I'm, I'm wondering whether Everton have gone for it and um, and just been caught on the counter a couple of times or, or, or what, I'm not sure. But Spurs definitely look better, especially under Conte, when they're counter-attacking. I, I just don't think, as a as a team that dominates the ball, I don't think that suits them at this moment. Yeah, I, I'd say I'd probably agree with that. I think it's it's another one where you'd say, I'd, I'd say Spurs, especially their back line, that they're lacking depth there still. And even the sort of personnel they've got in midfield, I'm not a huge Harry Winks fan. It's, you know, Matt Doherty, I know, played in that game as well. And he's, he, he, people saw his praises when he was at Wolves. He's not really stepped into the, the role that they wanted at Spurs. And I think the fact that they're playing the, you know, a back three of Ben Davis, Eric Dyer, Christian Romero, it's, I don't know whether the play, they're the players that they need. You know, they're, they, they're good players. They're, all three of them are good players. Again, with Harry Winks, he's a decent Premier League level player. 
uh, I would say, but the, the depth just isn't there and the, the quality just isn't really there that you'd want. And obviously they have it further up the pitch. Their front three or their, you know, if, you, if you're looking at Son, Kane, Kulisevsky, that's up there in the league in terms of, you know, one of the top three or four attacks probably in, in the league in terms of the way that they are starting to gel with Kulisevsky coming in as well in January. But it's it's just, I don't know, it's, they're in a weird place, I think, Spurs. I completely agree with you saying it's it's so up and down. And I'm just glad I, I don't have to experience that as a, as a, as a Spurs fan because um, I think it's either, it's either been, I think for me as a fan, it's either been just constant disappointment or it's been hope and kind of like, you know, get you can get a little bit, you, you, your expectations are already low. Whereas I think with Spurs, the expectations were heightened when Potts was there and now it's kind of just like, I just can't imagine. I can't imagine being in that um, position. But I think um, we don't have too much else to talk about. I don't know if any of you guys want to talk about more um, any of the other FA Cup results that I that I looked at. I mean, I was mentioning in the in the WhatsApp chat about how Huddersfield, what the run that Huddersfield are currently on in the Championship, is absolutely ridiculous. Obviously, they just lost tonight against Forest. Um, and in the in the FA Cup, they're both teams that are basically still on the hunt to be promoted. I think we are, when Jack's back at some stage, we're going to have a look at the the championship uh, promotion race because it's really, really exciting. We've got teams in there that you really wouldn't expect. Obviously, currently, oh, yeah, it's, it's really tight. I mean, you've got a, a top six consisting of Fulham, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, Blackburn, QPR and Middlesbrough. And then literally, if, if you're looking at the, the teams after that, five w- within five points under that, You've got Middlesbrough in sixth on 55. Um, and then you've got Sheffield United, Luton, Forest, Millwall, Coventry, Preston, even West Brom. And, and it's even Blackpool genuinely still still in. They have they do have an opportunity. They're only seven points off the playoffs. And it's one of those where it, it's been a t- there have been teams who have gone on some serious runs, like Huddersfield have been in, in incredible form. Forrest are doing really well. Middlesbrough, since they've had Chris Wilder come in, has been he, he's been superb for them and have been playing really, really well. Um, Forrest, obviously, we're seeing continue their FA Cup run after knocking out some really big Premier League teams. But I think it's whoever comes up out of that crop, it's, it's very exciting. I'm hoping it's not going to be Fulham, Bournemouth, West Brom. I'm hoping we get, you know, like a Blackburn come up or something like that. It probably that. will be. It, it probably will be. And then Norwich will go down. They'll come back up next season. It, it'll probably just be rinse and repeat. But we, we live in hope. I'd love to see a team like Blackburn come back up because I remember Blackburn being in the in the Prem and having like Morton, Gamps, Pedersen playing for them. and uh, t- Yeah, Tunchai. I remember even, even back when they had like two guy and um, I can't remember who they had up front at that point. Uh, they that had okay, Santa Cruz and Benny McCarthy. Yeah, Craig, Benny McCarthy, Craig Bellamy. I remember being there. Even when they had like Dickov, they had some. They had some really, really good players uh, at, at certain points at Blackburn. I think so. They had like Stephen and Zonzi. Um, yeah, they, they, had, they yeah. did have. They had some. They had some decent players at Blackburn um, back in the day. And you know, to see to see them come back up, and I think to to look at some of these teams and have an episode where we maybe reminisce about these teams when they were back in the Prem, because obviously there's huge memories we'll have about QPR, uh, you know, Joey Barton and Gibral Cisse, and those players during that season when City won their title. Middlesbrough, I remember some of the players that Middlesbrough had were ridiculous. Like, back in the day, Mark Viduca, I remember very well. Um, Janino. Janino, yeah. 
I remember even then when they had Southgate and um, uh, Hugo Echiog as well uh, playing mm. playing together in that uh, in the two centre back role. That that was really good. I think that was when they had Steve McLaren managing them. But I'm sure we'll we'll expand <laughs> we'll expand on this um, an awful lot. I'm sure in, in in weeks to come, and we'll talk a little bit more about the championship because I think it's it's an, it's such an exciting league to get involved in. I have. I'm back involved now because I've started writing for a, a website called The 72. So anybody wants to check The 72 out, um, go ahead. It's great, great kind of EFL content. A lot of a lot of guys write on there. But since since Villa came back up, I haven't been as involved in, in watching the EFL and watching the championship. I always try and catch the highlights on Quest and stuff again now. And I want to get more. Because it's so exciting. It is really, really exciting to watch. And you get some <laughs> mad score lines as well down there um i don't know if you guys want to end with anything else if you've got anything else to say before we start closing the episode i think it's been a little bit shorter i want to say than normal but so if you guys do have anything to say then feel free to come up with a little closing topic if if you want to um, i mean just yeah. oh sorry Go for that's it. right um fighting no, for I'm it gonna mention that uh i went to the bristol versus uh, Birmingham City game on Saturday. Oh yeah, yeah. Which was a good game. I didn't actually know that. Um, do you know? Have you seen that meme where the 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 people are watching the England game and England score and they throw the cups in the air? Yeah, I think I know. I was actually at uh, Bristol City in their uh, in the bar that they have in the stadium. Oh uh, right. How come you ended up? How come you were in Bristol? Uh, just a chance. Uh, my cousins and my uncle were going to a game and they said, "Do you want to?" I'd come along and all that and I went and uh, it was a, a decent game as well whenever I think the first goal Blue scored quite early it was Chong that scored in the Bristol end and then on the on the opposite side were the Blues fans and they threw a, uh, a smoke grenade in on the pitch oh yeah I remember you saw, yeah I remember you a picture of that it's just there are some insane goings on in the championship. Like it, it is exciting. Obviously, I think there were three thrown actually in total. Blues Blues fans don't have a great track record in in the championship. To be honest, in terms of the way they conduct themselves. Well, there was a fight that broke out as well. Um, yeah, I think a Blues fan got caught in the Middlesbrough area, not Middlesbrough, um, Bristol City area, and celebrated. And um, obviously, a bit of a fight went down. Yeah, who knows? I was I was hoping that Andreas Weiman would come in and turn it around because he's a player who was he was a bit of a cult hero at Villa in a weird way. Yeah. In terms of like he was never he wasn't ever like a great player in in the Premier League, but he scored a fair few goals. Um, but I think yeah, I mean we look back at when the Blues fan went and punched Jack Grealish and and who went on and scored that winning goal. I always just remember that moment and just like I, to be honest though, I've slated Villa fans before because things had got quite, quite tasty at Villa uh, between Villa fans before um, over the past couple of years at least. But I think uh, the Championship is really, it is genuinely really exciting. I don't know if we have any more updates. I think I was I was also going to give a shout out to Leroy Lita, who again, he's a he's a football league legend, Premier League Premier, former Premier League striker as well. Currently playing for Stratford Town, which is my local team. I think Luke as well. You've mentioned he played for your local team as well. And this is a guy I'm going to make it my 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 duty to the full time whistle to somehow get Leroy Lita involved in the full time whistle. I really want to do it. 
If we can get any support on Twitter to get behind this, I don't know if he has Twitter. We'll find Just, out. Just uh, do what Adam Peterson stand outside the training ground all day, every day. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, Adam Adam Pearson as well would be a really good guest. He's a, he's become like a kind of. I don't even know how I'd describe our relationship with Adam Pearson because we used to speak to him years ago. He's basically a Newcastle uh, YouTuber, Newcastle United YouTuber. We'll get. We'll, 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 we'll get him on our podcast. Uh, we did. We did have him on our podcast as well. Uh, stuff and nonsense. Go and check out stuff and nonsense as well. But I think in general we are looking. We are always open to suggestions from anybody who's listening or watching as well. So please do feel free to tweet us, comment on the YouTube videos as well, that kind of thing. We do have an email address. I will leave it all down below. I don't think I've necessarily left our email address down below before, but I'll try and start incorporating that in the descriptions so you can basically get hold of us in as many ways as possible. We are open to suggestions. We're hoping to be branching out, getting some guests involved, whether it be in the main show, whether it be in bonus episodes kind of thing as well. So do let us know if you want to, if there's anyone you want us to invite on and we'll try our very best to do so. I think that'll be good for us. I think it'll be a nice little addition to the, to the channel. Um, whether they'll go out as, as as audio versions as well, we'll see. But there's a lot of progress to be made with the full-time whistle. It's, it's early days. Um, anyone got a, a final thing to add, or do you think we're all all wrapped up? Um, no to war. That's yeah. very true. I think that we can all echo that. We can all echo that. Yeah, 100%. Um, Vito, thanks for coming on again. It's been it's been great to have you back on the episode. Uh, Luke as well, you too. It's been great to have uh, to have your insight again. And Aaron as well, back again, obviously, for, for the second week in a row. Some great insight again. We'll be back next week for another show. Hopefully some more really exciting Premier League results. And from around Europe as well, we'll, we'll, we'll try and talk a little bit more about European football maybe next week. Uh, see what we want to do with that but thank you for watching and listening again and we hope to see you again soon